Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yes, this is the exciting time. Uh, we are watching the world slowly change. So we're going to get the five keys to your health. Now, this is going to be on our talk tonight. It's going to be live on um, Facebook and YouTube, and they'll be posted on Dr. B VIP site. We have a new site called Dr. B VIP. That's D-R. Um, B like boy, VIP, like a very important person. Um, I'd recommend you get on that because next week we're going to be doing a live version that's not going to be interrupted because today's talk is going to be on the five keys to health. I mean, literally, how do you keep healthy? That would be important. Um, So you don't need to walk it around with a face diaper on, scared to death of your neighbor. However, if you do want to snitch on them and you live in L.A., you can get rewards. We're also going to go into the PCR testing or how they actually test to see if that's accurate, what are they looking for, and a little bit more news on the vaccines. We covered it a bit last week, but you're going to be surprised at what the vaccines um, do and don't do. So let's look at your body first. Okay, number one thing, there is an intelligence in your body. I know, I know, it's called an innate inborn intelligence now the body is self-healing and self-regulating particularly when you're talking about the covid disease now that's going around you're looking at a 99 percent recovery rate from virtually every age group okay if you're over 85 percent that's only two percent of our population but even that isn't killing all of those people you're talking 99 percent plus percent recovery rate. That's with no other, no interventions. Now, 80% of the people that get it have little to no symptoms. So we're doing all of these changes that are actually going to have a greater impact on death rates, such as the lockdowns, than than, uh, being concerned about a virus. But know that 97 to 99% of all diseases are really the body adapting to physical, chemical, and emotional stress. So what affects that 1%? Okay, it's actually less than that based on your age category. It's like a 0.001% if you're a 30-year-old female. So what what is this? It's the people's physical, chemical, and emotional stressors. That's what's causing the weakening of the immune system. So it's not a virus that harms you. It's the weakened immune system. Now, your digestive tract, this is 80% of your immune system. So if you want to stay healthy, you're going to maintain the integrity of that. The challenge is it's governed by an automatic nervous system. It keeps you alive under stress, and that's called the sympathetic or fight or flight. And if you've ever heard of type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, inflammatory bowel diseases, all of those are stress states. They are not diseases. Even when you look at the all-seeing, all-knowing medical doctors, uh, they will say that they have no clue at what's causing those diseases because they are not diseases. They're adaptations to stress. So you've really got to look at the physical, chemical, and emotional stressors. I mean, even if we look at the Center for Disease Control, and these are the ones that are bringing you the health of our population. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because 60%, 6 out of 10 Americans have a chronic illness or disease. 4 out of 10 have more than 2. 
So this is why it's not um, people dying from the COVID virus, okay? People generally that have died do not die from this virus. They will die with it. That means that according to the CDC, they have an average of 2.3 comorbid conditions. So if you have heart disease, cancer, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, strokes, Alzheimer's, type 2 diabetes, or chronic kidney disease, which all are the chronic diseases in America that the CDC says 60% of our population has. If you have 2.3 of those conditions, then you are at a greater risk of dying. So why don't we fix those conditions? Okay, doesn't that make more sense? Well, if you look at comparative physiology, they say to understand chronic illness or disease, you have to look at the autonomic nervous system, and that is the key. Now, so when we know that it's that stress state, that automatic nervous system, the sympathetic which keeps you alive under stress, the parasympathetic that regenerates the, the um, regenerates your body, it's called rest, digest, and repair. Well, what kind of medications damage your gut flora? Guess what? High blood pressure medications, asthma, breathing medications, sedatives, anxiety meds, antibiotics, antidepressants, um, pain relievers, and this means Advil, Motrin, Aleve, cholesterol-lowering drugs. All of these change your gut flora. But what are they for? If you look at it, cholesterol drugs, well, cholesterol is produced because it's the main precursor, the building product that you build stress um, hormones out of. Uh, High blood pressure is a response to stress. Anxiety medications, a response to stress. So drugging a stressor with, or drugging the response to stress is crazy. I mean, in 2006, the Journal of the American Medical Association said people with higher blood pressure had lower death rates. Yes, I know, I just said that. People with higher blood pressure. Now, these are patients, heart failure patients, patients that have had cardiac problems before um, had lower death rates if they had blood pressure higher than 161, okay, systolic. And a lot of people would say, oh, my God, that's crazy. Okay, good. Live in your delusional world. Okay, just say that everybody should have the same number drug the heck out of them with a diuretic beta blocker or ACE inhibitor and don't look at the facts. Or you could look at the University of Alabama who did a study way back in 2015 that found out that the risk of stroke goes up by a third for each blood pressure medication you're taking. If you're on three or more medications, you're at around a 248% increase in stroke. Um, why is that? Well, because if you're under stress, the blood um, isn't healthy. It responds by clumping together. These are stressors because you're going into battle, baby. When you're under stress and your blood responds, the problem is it doesn't hold oxygen really well. So pressure has to adapt to increase in order to get that same inefficient blood flowing through the kidneys. When we look at at, um, the New England Medical Journal and Harvard Medical School, now this was just four years ago or five years ago, um, they said that do not go to the annual physical. That means if, if you're utilizing the medical system, do not use it for the annual physical because it can result in a battery of unnecessary texts. It's unnecessary. And the more money, there's an inverse relationship. 
the more money you spend on U.S. healthcare, the sicker you become. I mean, there's a professor from Harvard, Ellen Garrell, that says they have to replace the traditional fee for service um, that takes into patient outcomes. What what he was talking about there is that if you have a doctor that gives you a drug and he gets paid for giving you the drug, but you develop a negative response from the drug because you've been taking it for years and no one checked on you, that 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 fee for service there should be an outcome. Now, when somebody comes to us with high blood pressure, we look for the physical, chemical, and emotional stressors, and we deal with those effectively. And typically, it takes about a week, week and a half to see blood pressure reduce. Um, if you look at the British Medical Journal, now this was way back in 2011, they found out that if you take a drug for type 2 diabetes, and type 2 diabetes is a stress response, if you lower blood glucose with metformin or glucophage, drugs used to control type 2 diabetes, let's say you lower blood glucose 9%, you have a 19% increased risk of cardiovascular death because lowering the blood glucose is what that drug does, and it does it really well. However, insulin remains high, and that's what damages the tissue. So let me see. We got a stressor called type 2 diabetes. It's from physical, chemical, emotional stress. We can give them a drug that lowers the blood. So the blood test will look better. The blood sugar will look better. However, they die greater and faster of a heart attack because insulin levels are higher. Uh, let's say, oh, yeah, they got high blood pressure. Let's give them a drug to lower it. However, every time you give the drug to lower blood pressure, the risk of stroke increases. Oh, let's give them a cholesterol-lowering drug. Oh, no, you just looked at clinical pharmacology in 2015. The title of the article, Statins Stimulate Hardening of the Arteries, Atherosclerosis, and Heart Failure. That's right. Cholesterol-lowering drugs stimulate hardening of the arteries and heart failure. Is that why a virus that does not kill over 99% of the population, but if you have comorbid conditions like blood pressure, cholesterol, or type 2 diabetes, okay, like 60% of our population, that that puts you at greater risk. So how about instead of drugging those stress responses, we just fix them? Oh, my God, that makes so much sense. If some idiot comes in and tells you to take an aspirin a day for a healthy heart, guess what? It's no longer recommended, hadn't been recommended for around eight years. The National Institute of Health Research and Health Technology Assessment it's called the NIHRHTA study. Um, and what they did, they checked 100,000 people, 13 different countries. And they found out that if 100,000 people took this, you'd have around 33 fewer deaths from um, coronary or heart disease. That, let me say that again. 100,000 people are taking an aspirin a day, and 33 lives will be saved. That means 999,967 people won't have a benefit. Well, let's look at the adverse effects. You get 100,000 people taking it, you're going to lose around 117 for gastrointestinal bleeding, and about 10 patients will die of stroke. So you'll lose around 130 people, uh, but you'll save 30 by taking an aspirin a day. Yeah, so let's not do that. Um, and, and I love this one uh, quote from the American Heart Journal. 
Um, uh, people who are quote people are diagnosed with heart failure and follow a treatment regime that includes blood thinners, aspirin, Coumadin could be putting their health into more danger. Based on the results of this study, experts said that the treatment of heart failure involving a multitude of drugs that proved to be ineffective should be eliminated as a treatment option. Um, end of quote. <clears throat> yeah. So let's look at physical, chemical, and emotional stress because that's what it really is. You boil it all down. It, it's, it's too simple. Physical stress. You've got to look at the structural and neurologic um, problems and correct it. Chemical stress, oral chelation, IV chelation, sauna, plant-based diet, that'll do it. Emotional stress, cerebellar stimulation, this means cross-crawl exercises, neurolinguistic programming. Those are going to be sol the solutions. And we're going to cover um, endocrine-disrupting chemicals on how, if you would like to know the cause of male and female reproduction problems, breast cancer, prostate cancer, neuroendocrine cancer, thyroid metabolism, obesity, cardiovascular disease. These are from endocrine disrupting chemicals, chemicals in our food and our environment. So when you're talking about strengthening your immune system, organic plant-based diet is going to be the key. And then when you look at the Journal of Toxicology in 2009, they said glyphosates, this means any bread that is not organic is going to be soaked in glyphosates. Um, most um, food products are soaked in glyphosates. Heck, there's even the BT toxin. This is a toxin that was supposed to be, um, well, it, it's a corn plant uh, that actually produces a pesticide in its pollen. Now, you might think that would be stupid and dangerous. Well, they said it's generally recognized as safe without any human trials because they said it was only going to be used for animal feed. However, the Journal of Reproductive Toxicology and University Hospital Sherbrooke in Quebec found the BT toxin in pregnant women and their babies. Think of that. So this corn survived the cow's digestion, got embedded in the meat, survived the cooking, survived the mom's digestion, and went through, and it's now found in their babies. So this is two generations of something that was supposed to be non-toxic. However, it was designed to destroy the gastrointestinal tract of insects. Do you think it'll have a problem with the bugs in our gut or our intestinal tract? Well, again... Questions that need to be asked, particularly if you're going to roll up your sleeve for an experimental vaccine, because they still, you know, there's a lot of toxins out there that are being currently pushed by the medical industry. Okay, again, not based in science or anything. Heck, pitocin, pitocin or oxytocin um, is a drug they give to initiate uterine contractions. Now, there's a causal relationship between oxytocin and behavioral disorders such as autism. So when they're giving you a drug to get your contractions, do they tell you that there's a 60% increase in autistic um, behaviors if, you get, if the mom is given Pitocin and then the kid is given the standard vaccines? If you look at the Journal of Public Health and Epidemiology out of 2014, they say coincident 
of introduction of vaccine manufactured using fetal, human fetal cell lines containing fetal and retroviral contaminants in the childhood vaccines. Thus, the rising autistic disorder prevalence and directly related to the vaccines manufactured utilizing human fetal cells. End of quote. Now, we're looking at by 2025, half of all our kids in America will be autistic. That's half, 50%. Um, so how do we stop this insanity? Uh, well, by taking charge of your own health. If you're trusting the government to take it, um, or to take care of you, they haven't done a real bang-up job so far. You can look at the government of Florida or the government of California, two totally different approaches. These are the five points right now. Number one, you've got to get your nervous system checked. Now, what we do at our office, we'll do a full-body digital x-rays and stress x-rays, heart rate variability, live blood cell analysis, and thermography. That's the most complete nerve scan that I've ever even seen. Um, regular daily exercise. Okay, once you've assessed the physical correction or stressors, then you could get the corrections. Regular daily exercise, and this means walking every day. Inactivity literally kills. In fact, exercise helps older brains regenerate. Uh, amazing. And then you also, you have resistance training and aerobic training. Make sure that you do this every day. Every day you got to do some type of work. Proper nutrition. This means if man makes it, you don't eat it. Because look at antibiotics. Antibiotics are used in commercially produced meat. So if you look at virtually any fast food burger out there, it's going to be laced with the BT toxin if it's a cow, uh, BT toxin if it's a chicken. It could be antibiotics. So these are horribly dangerous. So if you're eating animal proteins, by gosh, they've got to be a healthy animal. And then we look at what those things do. They increase intestinal permeability or cause a leaky gut. And that's early exposure or um, an early contributing factor in Parkinson's. So how do you reverse the nutritional toxicity? With plants, organic plant foods. Now, see, nearly every fruit and vegetable contains this, it's called NFKB inhibitors. And it's nuclear factor kappa light chain enhancer. And this is the, the, one of the causative factors of cancer, hardening of the arteries, heart attacks, diabetes, asthma, Crohn's disease, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, psoriasis. Almost every chronic illness or disease can be diminished or reversed by getting organic fruits and vegetables. And I know what you're saying. It can't be that simple. However, when you look at clinical biochemistry, oxidative stress, depletion of glutathione, and this is what those drugs do, those chemicals do in the food products. Um, and this is the depletion of glutathione, just the same thing what um, Tylenol does. It, it weakens your body's ability to regenerate. So how do you build the glutathione? Cruciferous vegetables. This means garlic, onions, uh, broccoli, kale, cauliflower. I mean, just good tasting stuff. Build your gut flora, fantastically important. Omega-3s, and I'm talking uh, anchovies, mackerel, sardines, super important to increase your, your omega-3 intake. And I'm talking five to ten times the standard dose. 
and sufficient rest. So what do you have? You have nerve supply. You have exercise. You have nutrition. Now sufficient rest. Deep sleep every night. Look at our, our sleep um, videos out there. Uh, you have to reset your circadian rhythms. It's a 21-day exercise, but within five days, you're going to be sleeping through the night. And then prayer and meditation, absolutely essential to health. And I know it sounds strange because if you actually trust our government today, how they've eliminated church, they've eliminated um, gyms, they've eliminated parks and recreation and closed the beaches, none of which is based in science, and they're supposed to be working for us. So let's now take a look at, at what we're going to be talking about Okay, tonight on the um, – well, censorable version, because we have half of our talk on YouTube and Facebook. The other half is on the Dr. BVIP site. So we're going to give you some insight into that, because we've got eight minutes, baby. Okay, get on the vaccinereaction.org. That's T-H-E, vaccinereaction.org. Brilliant referenced article. The title of the article is World Health Organization, and Fauci warned COVID-19 vaccines may not prevent infection and disease transmission. And you might be saying, what? It may not prevent infection or disease transmission. Then you might be saying, well, what the hell good is it? And you'd be correct. Well, on December 28th, that's just a few days ago, the World Health Organization warned that there is no guarantee that COVID vaccine, uh, COVID-19 vaccines will prevent people from being infected with the SARS-CoV-2 virus and transmitting it to people. So it will not prevent infection and it will not limit transmission. In fact, on New Year's Day, an interview with Newsweek, um, the great god Fauci um, director, a director of National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, reinforced the, WHO's, uh, the World Health Organization's admission that health officials do not know if COVID vaccines prevent transmission or if people can spread the virus to others after getting vaccinated. That's why they're saying if you are getting vaccinated, forget that whole BS of things are going to return back to normal once you get the shot. No, you got to still social distance, you still got to mask up, and nobody really knows what the effects of the shots are going to be. Now, you got to figure this is not an approved vaccine. Now, although the U.S. Food and Drug Administration granted emergency use authorization in December for the Pfizer, um, BioNTech, and Moderna, to release their experimental mRNA vaccines for use in the U.S. The companies only provided evidence from clinical trials to demonstrate that their vaccines prevented more mild to severe diseases of the COVID-19 in vaccinated compared to unvaccinated. The companies didn't even investigate whether the vaccines prevent people from becoming asymptomatic if infected with SARS, or they didn't even study to see if it was transmitted to other people. I know, that's right. Isn't that interesting? If you look at the offguardian.org, now this is a British system. Now, um, the title of the article, What Vaccine Trials? The most important meaningful phase of the COVID-19 vaccine trials 
has barely begun, let alone completed. Uh, and I, I just got to read the first sentence because you're going to love this. COVID-19 vaccine trials appear to have caused some confusion. Hopefully this article might help clear things up a bit. People genuinely believe that COVID-19 vaccines have undergone clinical trials and have been proven both safe and effective. That belief is simply wrong. The main point is if you decide to get have Pfizer or Biotech's experimental vaccine or any other claimed COVID-19 vaccine for that matter, you are a test subject in a drug trial. That's right. You're a test subject in a drug trial. Now, the, 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 however, the World Health Organization protocols Pfizer used to produce the mRNA do not appear to identify any nucleotide sequences that are unique to SARS-CoV-2. Okay, let me repeat that in, in, in their language, then I'll translate it to English. The World Health Organization protocols uh, Pfizer used to produce the messenger RNA. Now, this is the, the strand of protein sequence inside of the virus. It does not appear to identify any nucleotide sequence that are unique to SARS. That means that they're looking for a protein segment that is not unique to this virus. That means that you could have it in your own body. That's why if you're looking at the PCR test, not only is it not um, effective to identify it, um, but that protein sequence, the PCR test is not designed to even show that it's, you have an infectious agent. And I've got this article from Robert Oswald. Now, this is a Cornell researcher, brilliant guy. Um, let me just read the, the first couple of parts of his article. Uh, quote, I have a PhD in virology and immunology. I'm a clinical lab scientist and have tested 1,500 supposed positive COVID samples um, collected here in Southern California. When my lab team and I did the testing through coaches, postulates, and observations under scanning electron microscopes, we found no COVID in any of the 1,500 samples. Think of that, no COVID. What we found was that all of the 1,500 samples were mostly influenza A, some were influenza B, but not a single case of COVID. We did not use the bullshit PCR test. We sent the remaining samples to Stanford, Cornell, and a few other universities of California labs, and they found the same results as we did. No COVID. They found influenza A, influenza B, all of us spoke to the CDC and asked for viable samples of the COVID, which the CDC said they could not provide as they did not have any samples. Yes, isn't that interesting? He continues on, quote, We have now come to the firm conclusion through all our research and lab work that COVID-19 was imaginary and fictitious. The flu was called COVID, and most of the 225,000 dead were dead through comorbidities such as heart disease, cancer, emphysema, and they got the flu, which further weakened the immune system, and they died. I have yet to find a single viable sample of COVID-19 to work with. Isn't that interesting? Um, <laughs> and then we have... Um, well, a study on masks that we don't have time to go into, but I've got to read this one last article on clinical immunology. This is August 2020. 
Um, title of the article, Potential Antigenic Cross-Reactivity Between SARS-CoV-2 and Human Tissue with a Possible Link to an Increased Autoimmune Disease. Uh, article goes on to, I mean, just brilliant, brilliant um, details. But vaccine-induced autoimmunity from autoimmune cross-reactivity is associated with narcolepsy, Guillain-Barre, multiple sclerosis, demyelinating neuropathies, systemic lupus, lupus tachycardia. Um, now, due to the significant red flags for the potential cross-reactivity interactions with the current COVID-19 pandemic, we studied the relationship between the spike in nuclear proteins of the scars COVID-2 autoimmune target proteins. Is it possible that some of the extensive organ and tissue damage done by the SARS-CoV-2 is due to viral antigenic mimicry in human tissue? If the answer is yes, then we may face an increasing rate of autoimmune disease in the future because any factor that causes chronic inflammation in the body can potentially induce autoimmune disease. What they are saying is the current vaccine and the vaccine therapies that they're doing is could cause a massive autoimmune problem. I mean, you're looking at an experimental vaccine that's had eight weeks of testing, and some of these problems don't show up for years or decades later. Take charge of your health. Do not accept the experimental vaccine. Get your body strong, healthy, and... Um, uh, uh, look at the death rates, disease rates, and risk of the disease rate. You have a 99% plus rate of not dying. If you're lucky enough to catch it, you have an 80% chance of having mild to, no, to little symptoms. You were built by God. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you. I love you. <laughs>